the opus an exploration of legendary records and their ongoing legacy not just the history but how this music continues to evolve shaping lives shaking rafters and ingraining itself into our culture we're opening the vault on a recent classic records re-release delving into its inner workings and lasting impact maybe you're a longtime fan who wants to go deeper maybe you're a first-time listener and you're curious to hear more either way you're in the right place Find us at Consequence of Sound, iTunes, or wherever you tune into podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Bite-sized album reviews for the music fan on the go who wants to stay in the know. This is Consequence of Sound. Welcome to Track by Track, a recurring feature here on Consequence of Sound, where we explore an album one song at a time with the artists. Discussing the song's origins, tales from the studio, every story that brought this music to life. I'm Tyler Clark of Consequence of Sound, and in this episode, Editor-in-Chief Michael Rothman will be speaking to Mumford & Sons' Ben Lovett about their new record, Delta. If you love Track by Track, our album reviews, or any features here on COS, please consider rating and reviewing our show on Apple Podcasts, or rating and reviewing specific episodes on Podchaser. Your feedback helps us grow and lets us know what you love about them, how you think they could improve, or even how you listen to them. Reach out to us by leaving a review or hitting us up on the Consequence Podcast Network Facebook page. We're an independent music outlet, and it's you find folks that make it possible for us to keep exploring music in new and exciting ways. So connecting with you about how you experience our content is majorly important to us. Thanks so much for tuning in, and now let's uncover all the stories behind Delta, with Mumford & Sons, Ben Lovett. Where do I turn to When there's no choice to make How do I presume When there's so much at stake Well, I guess the first thing I wanted to talk about was you worked with uh, Paul Epworth. Yeah, uh, who he's done Adele, Florence and the Machine, Paul McCartney, U2, Coldplay. I mean, good God, everything. What did he bring to the process for Delta? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Paul's worked with those artists, and and actually in the UK, he's also been a really important part of the um, kind of the indie uh, and rock scenes. Everything from <clears throat> the horrors to Future Heads to Block Party. Um, so I think from our point of view, we just loved his versatility and have admired him from afar for years. We'd met a couple of times, um, but never properly spoken about music. And um, we just, I think, um, admired his, yeah, like I say, his versatility, but also his ability to um, essentially a, a approach a, a project without any sense of a ceiling. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that was that was our approach. You know, we went into this feeling like um, there weren't kind of constraints or limitations, and we wanted to find a, a producer who who bought into that. And you recorded in a church, <laughs> an actual church. It's his studios. Yeah, they're called the Church Studios. Um, it's a converted. Uh, it's actually been converted for a long time. It used to be um, Dave Stewart's from the Eurythmics uh, studio. Yeah, yeah. And that was where they made the Eurythmics records. And then I think David Gray had it for a short spell. And then Paul's had it for a few years. Um, and he's really made it his own now. So you go in and you feel like you're kind of entering his his mind a little bit. It's, it's constantly ready to um, to plug and play, yeah. as opposed to he doesn't he doesn't. I don't get the impression that it changes much session, from session to session. It's it's more like you're um, existing within he has all the different kind of mics and instruments plugged in and it means that um you know we didn't we didn't do like a big loading day um mm -hmm. and we didn't have it wasn't like we were coming to um commandeer his space it was very much like we were we were guests of the the church for a while and um that was great you know it it, it just i think one of the the key things out the gate with with paul was um just how instant everything was. It felt very kind of um, seamless and frictionless as an experience. And 
that's good when you're trying to be creative. Mm-hmm. There's nothing worse when you're when you're when you've got an idea to then have to sit on it for five minutes whilst someone goes and finds a microphone and plugs it into the right hole and you know, by the time it comes around, the idea is still there, but the reason why you've had the idea is gone. Yeah. Um and so we, we just found that, that we were able to exist much more kind of um instinctively on this record than perhaps ever before. Well, it seemed like you all had this incredible creative spurt. Uh, I had mm. read that you had 45 songs written for this album. Yeah, initially. yeah. I mean, they weren't all complete, but we had we had 45 or so sketches, and and a lot of those have continued to evolve, not fully, and and I think we feel quite bizarrely kind of still, um, I, I I suppose like brimming with creativity at the end of finishing Delta, which is which is nice, you know, not to feel completely empty. Mm-hmm. We still feel like there's there's songs in the tank and, and it gives us kind of a different sense of purpose looking into the next few years. Um I, I think we'll very likely be getting back into the studio next year. Certainly that's our intention. We're kind of leaving gaps in our touring to enable us to keep that collaboration with Paul going. Um, well, that's great. Yeah. And yeah, no, it's good. It's good, and and it gave us more options to pivot when it came to sculpting Delta, because we had more to play with, mm-hmm. rather than like we have these eleven songs and these need to be, we have to find a way of them sort of mushing together. We actually just had like a a larger kind of kaleidoscope of color. Well, you chisel it down to 14 for Delta, and let's start with the first one, uh, 42. The significance of this title is interesting. You know, it's 42 often said to be the answer to the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. What does the number mean here? I had no, that's the first I've heard that. Um, uh, That's really interesting. And um, a happy coincidence. Let's put it like that. Um, we, we, this is a, uh, this is, it, it was a co-write, um, and we were, um, uh, Marcus and I were struggling on finding a, a title that we were happy with, and we were sitting on a um, London Underground one day, um, on our way to somewhere, and, and decided that nothing would be more apt um, than to call it 42 because it's the, it's the 42nd song. Um, that we've released. Oh, interesting. Um, but I much, I much prefer. How did you did you know that already in terms of that? No, that I mean it was the just, you researched. <laughs> we just had go, googled it and um, we're trying to find that. some. I'm, I'm going to change the answer to that. <laughs> okay, let's just go with that. It's it's the meaning of life. Yeah, sweet. That's no, great. Sweet. Well, you start yeah. out with the meaning of life. Um, <laughs> um, what what actually uh, you know made this? Uh, I'm always interested in like the philosophy behind a first track and. How does this one set the tone for what's to come? Um, I think something in its um, in its DNA, which was the songs, not necessarily something that we prescribed. It, it kind of just naturally felt like an opener. Mm-hmm. Um, it is interesting why songs have that, um, but we felt it before we had it on. Uh, yeah, I, I, I remember it specifically when it came to Tompkins Square Park and to Babel and to um, Sino Moore. Um, each of those songs were um, almost like uh, setting out the stall. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, before we even got into the studio with Paul, we had talked about this being the opening track for the album. And oh, I can't, you know, it wasn't like, we couldn't rationalize it entirely. It just, it just had that sense to it. And... I think dynamically, obviously, it kind of um, draws you in. Maybe gets you to um, pay attention to a almost a, like a, a prelude to a story, um, and then uh, energy-wise, kind of tease it up to get us uh, get us ready for guiding light.
Well, Guiding Light is uh, the big single. And you debuted yeah. this song on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, and you got an assist by, with yeah. The Roots. How, can you talk about the performance and how it benefited the song as a whole? Yeah, so um, the uh, I think the opportunity to to essentially play songs on TV is a bit of a bizarre one. It's not something you consider when you um, you know when you form a band. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the years, I think we've we've understood it more in terms of just like you, you get a, a chance every now and then to play in front of people who aren't already interested in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and going on the Tonight Show for that was um, was, a, was one of those great opportunities. Um, you know, we're, we're fans of the show. We think, we think it's really fun. And uh, uh, it's, we really like um, being able to invite people in. It's one of the reasons why we've loved playing music festivals for yeah. years. It's another platform where you can go where people aren't necessarily there to hear you mm-hmm. um, or see you, and I think there's something about us that that um, always loves a challenge, and so now we, we we see those kind of slots, those TV slots, as an opportunity to like sort of say hello to the world um, because it's it's easy to forget how few people are actually paying attention to the rest of the things that we're doing yeah. most of the time, um, and that was great, you know, we we we've, we. Um, felt very confident and and continue to feel really good about Guardian Light being our, um, I guess, our invite into Delta. It's it's like our our way to um, let people know we're we're here and we've got something to say. You know, when it came out, uh, Rolling Stone had called it wildly experimental. And does it feel <laughs> experimental to you, or I mean, did, did, did you... they say that about that song? Or, yeah. Or about the album? No, that the wow. the, the the song itself. They um, and they and I I guess I could kind of see it. I just I just wondered if you felt that if was there a conscious de- decision, especially since this is the lead single, to kind of try to push a boundary or to maybe did this just emerge more organically? Do you feel? Um, I think it it, it kind of bridged um a comfort comfort territory. Uh, in the sense that it, it um, does incorporate instruments that we've used historically, you know, banjos and acoustic guitars, but mm-hmm. it also um, sets a kind of a, a tone for the... Yeah, I, I mean, what you're saying about pushing boundaries, I, I think that it, it incorporates a lot of the new elements that we feel is important to um, the sound of Delta as a whole, which mm-hmm. is, you know, the the wider sounding um, synthetic world and um, just just sort of more developed production values. Um, And they exist in harmony with these instruments. And that that was just, in general, um, something we were really interested by. And Paul was fascinated by, like, the the kind of the task at hand, which was, I guess, to take a a band that, that is steeped in kind of a lot of uh, folk and rock and to and to challenge some of that um, and to see where, where further he could take it. Which is something you guys have been doing for a while. I mean, I feel like that's that's one of the reasons why you're such an enduring act is that there's an evolution to him, for instance, that I think is just unparalleled with, especially with, you know, some of your peers in the beginning. And I definitely hear that with this album for sure. And, you know, I'd, I'd read in an interview yeah. that, this one took a year to work out. Um, was it something that you'd been kind of tinkering around with for a while? It was just a lot of tinkering. Yeah. It just felt like um, we we couldn't quite kind of just harness the energy that it has and and to um, uh, get the, the kind of the impact and the meatiness of it, but also the 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 pace and the rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we did we 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 kind of um, built it up, took it apart, built it up, took it apart, and you know who who knows for sure whether or not that was um, uh, all that necessary. But from our point of view, it was entirely crucial before we could feel good about it. And then and then there was a day that it just clicked, and it was actually the day that um, that Winston laid down 
um, banjo on it, and it, it married so many of the elements together to really like. I guess you're kind of fallen back in love with and fascinated by the instrument because it can, um, at times, feel as close to kind of an arpeggiator as a you know bluegrass instrument, totally. and sort of um, it, it took on that role that that in terms of its timbre and texture, it really um, it it just unified the, the track. So, yeah, um, it took it took us a minute, but we're 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 super happy with where it's got to. Well, speaking of Winston Marshall, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, for Woman, the third track, he had described this one as a Hall and Oates cover. <laughs> what is it? What do you make out of that? <laughs> um, I think maybe uh, taking it all with a pinch of salt would be the meaning behind that. Um, he, uh, I, I, I can't necessarily break that one down for you, <laughs> um, but I do remember when uh, when Winston brought. Uh, women into the studio we were in um, we, were, we were just doing some writing sessions in Brooklyn and he had been in Nashville and he turned up with uh, with the beginnings of the idea and, and it was um, it was the first verse and it was the falsetto hook and um, it was just like it felt like something that was very very different but also felt really good Mm-hmm. And I and I think that there was something about women that um, we maybe that was maybe a moment that that, that we felt um, uh, kind of unshackled by anything that we had done previously. Mm-hmm. It's 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 very much a different sound, but it just it felt like us. Not just because one of us wrote it, but because it also like it has it's it's really soulful and it's um, and it's honest. Um, and it stands up as a song, you know, I'm sure, well, I, we, we, we've got this um, concept, which is to, before kind of committing to a track, completely strip it down to its, its absolute bare naked truth, which mm-hmm. would be just to strum the chords along on an acoustic guitar and sing it. And then Marcus went through each of those 40 odd songs and played them without any kind of so there were no bells and whistles nothing to distract you and with women um it it was almost more compelling than ever you know there was a part of me that just wished that we heard that sort of solo acoustic version but but actually the the direction that that it's taken um feels really exciting to us and i i think um if anything, it's, it's it's kind of reminded us that we're not necessarily bound by um, any specific sound or instrumentation. That you know, hopefully this this song and this album goes on to mean that we can we can be about something else. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I love how it can be kind of quiet at some points too, and just kind of lets gives the listeners room to breathe. Space, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. space is like it's a underrated thing. Um, it's kind of like we've been um, talking about how much of, of this album is uh, a reflection on us kind of just listening um, mm-hmm. to people more and being a bit more patient, um, taking it in. And that means that you don't necessarily have to just fill the silence. Um, and I think that part of that comes from a place of confidence and security and poor, um, poor like, encouraging us or, or uh, reassuring us that it's okay to do that as well. Is it about any specific woman? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I believe so, but um, I'm, I, I wouldn't be the man to ask. You'd have to ask Winston about that. <laughs> That's okay. Down the chaos in your life's love. Well, let's uh, let's go to track four with Beloved. 
you know, there, you had mentioned the banjo previously and, you know, with, it's definitely all over woman and it's, all, you know, for sure on beloved. Um, and mm. you know, there's, uh, some folks, folks, your instruments on it too. And, you know, the reintroduction of these songs or these sounds, um, after kind of going electric on Wilder Mine, how did the new production choices affect them and maybe even your understanding of them? I mean, you'd, you'd kind of digressed on this previously, but I, I, I do wonder, like, you know, did the church affect it? It, it, it was, was Paul's technique, um, really kind of making you look at your, each instrument differently at that point? Yeah. I mean, he, I think Paul didn't necessarily have much, um, in the sense of preconceptions mm-hmm. when it came to the band. So, and, and actually I don't think I might be wrong about this, but I don't think he had spent much time recording banjos. Um, so he just saw it as like, that's a cool sounding instrument. And why don't we try putting it through this? And, oh, that sounds cool. And why don't we try also layering this, you know, effect? And, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, in, in, he was, it was very kind of um, innocent in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we found that we were chasing things for the sake of what would serve the song best, what would, what would sound cool, rather than, you know, like you're saying, like Beloved um, has a bunch of sidechained um, banjos layered up and that's uh it's it's a uh, it just sounds good right yeah. so, so instead of worrying about I, I don't i don't think we would uh, be overly worried about being purists or instrumental purists um and it's more like how can we engage with these instruments to get something that sounds uh unique and serves the song the best it can so that's that's really where we got to um the other the other thing about Beloved, I think that that Paul picked up on um, kind of out the gate was its rhythmic identity. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely! And it was interesting for us to to work because he's a he's a very rhythmic guy. He almost hears songs through rhythm first. Mm-hmm. He doesn't pay attention to um, the lyric and melody in the first instance. He it's like does he does he feel it? Um, and that was interesting. I think that's where you get kind of a bit more of the danceability and the bounce throughout the album. But when it came to Beloved, he kind of he heard it in a way that none of the four of us had heard it, and he got us to play it back to him, kind of as he was sort of gesticulating in the in the studio and and um, you know pa 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 you know like like trying to enunciate the rhythm ideas and and. All of a sudden, it was like, yeah, this is cool. Like this, this, this is better. Mm-hmm. And he he found a way to take it somewhere. And that's, yeah, sign of a great producer, isn't it? When you're oh, not absolutely <laughs> when they're not just there to help you know realize a vision that you've got, but they actually challenge the vision that you might have for a song and and really do make it better. We saw Can we be still? What makes you come? Track five, The Wild, and I mm. I love how the, the quiet of the piano kind of keeps everyone, you know, in pause and waiting, and you kind of keep expecting it to, to burst wide open, and then it kind of does with just like a minute left to go and it's, (laughs) and it's just, it's, it is really such a relieving thing. And, um, you know, like what are, what were some of the dynamics that, that helped kind of build this up? Well, this is a really interesting track. So we were, I'd say about three quarters of the way through the process on this album. And it was like, I think it was probably about midnight one night and we were sat around in front of the mixing desk at, the church and um and we were talking about songs and moments throughout the album we started to get a bit of a sense of of what was what and uh i can't remember how it came up but um basically it was like has anyone got any other any other songs at this point to throw into the mix mm-hmm. and uh marcus sort of looked up um because he'd been working on something on his laptop in the studio whilst we were also working on uh, some of the some of the other songs and um, was like yeah I've got something to play and 
essentially a week previous, he had gone down to his home and had just built a recording studio um, out in the west uh, west country of England. And um, he had set himself the challenge of trying to uh, record a song using every single instrument in the studio and had basically worked up a demo that essentially sounds um, like what, what the album version is, but on kind of various different soft synths and, you know, like it was um, a mixture of either mandolins or whatever in the studio and pianos and, and whatever mixed in with kind of samples and things. Um, and play, and basically, and we, none of us had heard it yet, mm-hmm. and plugged in the aux cable, played it over the speakers, and we all just looked at him like, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you can't just sit on songs like that. And yeah. uh, and immediately, you know, there was, it was just a no-brainer. And it feels, I think, where it sits in the track listing is, is really important. It's It kind of, it has a kind of a very um, central core um almost like a turning point, but also like an arrival. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 like, it, it's, uh, it has a really key function, um, and it's a beautiful song. So, yeah, you know, moments like that through the process as well, where we were, being, where we were kind of surprising each other, I think it was really important and um, kept us going. Instead of just, it wasn't like on day one of the studio, the creativity stopped. It, yeah. was, it kept on flowing throughout the months that we were in there, and... And songs came in like the wild. And you had an assist by Sally Herbert too on the with the with her string yeah. arrangement. I mean, how was that working? Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Um, it's the first time working with her, and and Paul had worked with her on a, on a few other things. Um, I mean, really, uh, and I'm, I know we'll get to it, but I, I think her work on on if I say um, just really sort of took us took us back. But mm-hmm. throughout throughout the album, um, she was just a joy. A joy to work with and we keep saying that this this process has been kind of an opportunity to work with some of the best people in the world um and we're incredibly humbled to have that chance um we don't take it for granted at all and, and sally herbert's really um really one of those and just gets it you know she yeah. hears songs in a way that sometimes i guess um people who are in kind of orchestration or more kind of uh, classical backgrounds haven't invested so much energy into the DNA of songwriting or modern day songwriting. It really feels like she gets both, both sides, um, very well. Oh, I agree. And and it just speaks to the collaborative nature of this band for sure. And I just, I I love Mm. it. I just love it. And in the valley I'm free, but in the hills I Yeah, and then the next track it really caught my eye just because it's my favorite month. But uh, October skies, and you <laughs> know, you re- <laughs> it is my favorite month. I just I, I love Halloween. Why is that your I love- favorite month? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So okay. I it just it's just a uh, this was actually like the first track I ran to. But uh, you know, you're releasing this record in the fall, and I gotta ask is is it was you know and it does have a very like autumnal vibe to it. And how much of that was deliberate, and how much was that just kind of happy accident? Um, that's a good question. I mean, um, again, Marcus wrote October Skies, so I, I, I think, um, the approach to it, um, was, was relatively, um, I think straightforward, Mm -hmm. um, pretty, pretty honest recording. Um, but, uh, I can't, I can't speak to kind of a a direct, like autumnal note in it. Um, it's. Uh, I think that the, that there's like a, a kind of a tactile. It feels like you can almost, you can feel it, you know, physically as oh, a track. Yeah, yeah. There's um, a strong sense of place for sure, for sure. Yeah, and and some of that I feel like when we were recording it, um, just came in in being, um, ha- you know, absolutely comfortable with imperfections. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it be little creaks or little scratches here and there, you can almost, you can get into the into the song in a way that you you used to um i suppose in more classic records 
and and nowadays people try and clean all that stuff out you know it's all about like nipping and tucking and and um maximizing stuff whereas this was you know laid down onto a two track tape um and it, i think it it really does the song justice not all of the tracks were done that way and um yeah i just it just has that kind of that warmth and um yeah, I'm searching for the word, but it's uh, no. That's warmth is right. I mean, it, it definitely it kind of feels like a blanket uh, in a way. Not to just kind of throw in with the fall vibes, I guess, but it, it really <laughs> does. Um, does do you know if it was inspired by any landscape or sense of you know, or was it just kind of like a state of mind thing? Maybe. I think it was more. Yeah, maybe state of mind. Yeah. Um, I haven't I haven't got all of the answers to the inception of the song, so okay. I will ask. It's it's kind of. Sometimes we don't ask. It is funny, like yeah. when you're in this kind of uh, collaboration of songwriting. Um, you, I mean, I'd say most of the time we know, um, and we we read between the lines because we know each other personally as well as you'd expect after all these years. Mm-hmm. Um, and some stuff just goes unsaid, and and that's also cool, you know. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many songs. That, yeah, I can't even imagine being able to know everyone. I mean, to 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 kind of get, and they're also so intimate and personal too. So I, I mean, I have yeah, you know, it's kind of like yeah, well, just let it do and, its and like breaking breaking down everyone's process rather yeah. than just saying, you know, that song that song speaks to me. Um, we, we're not kind of I wouldn't say we're particularly overly analytical mm-hmm. in any direction, but especially not inward. We don't kind of like break each other down. Um, which is probably a good it's, thing it's like, <laughs> yeah it is and I think we use the music as our way of, of saying something better than we do kind of in a um, you know we're, we're not ones for kind of group therapy mm-hmm. we'll never slip away slip away in the night Well, on track seven, Slip Away, uh, this was one of your first songs uh, with Paul, right? Um, yeah, this was the test song. So yeah. Slip Away was our kind of um, our experimental um, tryout with, with Paul, and we did it at the end of 2017. So this is uh, about 12 months ago. We went in with him for a few weeks. Oh, sorry, for a few days. Um and we just thought it'd be good to just to see what the vibe was. It was kind of like a first date, um, see whether whether we were kind of going to click. And within six hours, we had this song heading in this direction. He he kind of immediately jumped on the the rhythmic um, identity of it, and just suggested to completely sort of transform um, our approach with with building the whole rhythm track out of this wonderful old like 40s luddy kick drum or field drum and built up this rhythm track with us as kind of the bedrock Mm -hmm. and then we start to layer on top of that and just we were kind of in awe of watching the process because that that wasn't something that we would have possibly thought about you know our our first assumption would have been let's just lay it down like we had imagined it and then he might kind of tweak it but he just this com- he's just got a huge amount of confidence and security um, to, to just say, I get it, I love the song, let's, let's do this um, with it. And we just trusted him entirely from the word go. And then we came out of that with pretty much that version of that song that's on the album. And, and um, we committed to getting in with him a couple of months later at the start of 2018. It's a good fit. <laughs> It definitely is a good fit, and I think this is emblematic of that for sure. Fold your hand behind your ears, roll your questions across the floor. I know we've been here for years, but at least we've been here before. My mind finds peace in the shade of your attention, but gets tangled by the night. Track eight with Rose of Sharon. There's yeah. a significance to this title. There's a lot of biblical history, botanical history, literary history, because they have the Grapes of Wrath, which I guess you can tie with mm. biblical history. But uh, which one of those, if any, inspired this song? It touches on the last one, for sure. I think that 
thematically or, or certainly as an inspiration. I know that um, Steinbeck has played a, a, a big part in being kind of a, an amazing storyteller, uh, has been kind of referenced a number of times, especially in Marcus's writing. And this this track um, has been super exciting. I, was, I, I felt um, kind of from the word go that this just had a uh, an energy to it that was very different to anything we've ever done before. Um, you know, kind of that fun, up, wholly positive, you know, it's, it, there's this kind of um, dance, love song mm-hmm. and nature to it that um, I remember reacting to. And we had a lot of fun making it, you know, kind of messing around with different um, kind of resampling kick, um, kit sounds and um, we were using this thing called the DX7 which was this uh, old 80s synthesizer and um, it has a, a setting on it which we messed around with which are kind of like log drums and that's that weird cross rhythm sound in it um, which is doing like that kind of six against four thing and mm-hmm. um, all of that just, just gives it the I think I think it's it it, it's, it stands quite um, proudly on uh, a slightly different dimension and broadens the record. Totally. Um, I, I mean, it's like almost like the poppiest yeah. song on the album, um, and it, it kind of reminds yeah. me of like Graceland era Paul Simon a little bit. Yeah, and 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 interesting you say that because I think some of that some of those influences have definitely seeped through, and we mm-hmm. had an amazing experience um, in Johannesburg. Yeah. working with a bunch of folks on that mini album we did called Johannesburg. And totally. um, I think over the last few years, we've just kind of been much more, I guess, just absorbing of, of uh, rhythmic elements. So, yeah, that was really um, cool. We had Mamadou Saar, who's been a long-time collaborator of Baba Ma, mm-hmm. come in and lay down on some... some uh, he, he, he played a few different percussive elements on it. That was a really fun day watching him do his thing. Um, he's actually from Hackney in London, but um, he's uh, he's Senegalese and um, yeah, he, he's become a friend of ours. And he just dropped in. There was kind of this open door so cool. quality of just musicians passing through. And sometimes, you know, we wouldn't even get to tell each other who was going to be coming on any given day. And that was. <laughs> That was fun, you know, like, yeah. and not all of it made it onto the records. You know, sometimes we'd like Octavian, who's a really exciting new artist from South London, um, popping by, or we had Jack Garrett come in for a bit. And these, these, you know, not all of it is on the album, but it played, it really helped us kind of um, just riff off. The collaboration went, went far beyond kind of the four of us and Paul. It, it was like, you never knew what was going to be kind of, fueling the tank that day and i think that unpredictability like definitely fuels this album you know because every time every track it's just like whoa okay that's a totally left turn that i didn't expect and i imagine as a songwriter that's that's so enlivening just because i mean this is your fourth album even though as i joked before like uh it doesn't feel like the fourth album from you guys like because i feel you've been such an institution with the music today and Mm -hmm. i imagine that that sort of you just don't know what's going to happen in this next song. It's just, you have to have that. I mean, it's just, it's paramount. Um, totally. And it kind of, it does feel like our fourth album in the sense that, and I, I, no, I appreciate, appreciate the compliment, but it does feel to us like we're kind of still in the process of setting out our stall. I think there's like a statement to this album that's like, that's a youthful looking forward. And we, we still feel that there's so much more to do and accomplish creatively as much as anything and we don't you know that 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 part of of this band is far from done mm-hmm. um so like any sense of accomplishment or resolution or gratification or kind of completion is is so far from how we're approaching it it's there's more like a kind of a youthful naivety and um i don't know like just 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 a general sense of willingness um, mm-hmm. to explore things, and that you don't normally connect like a, a general sense of willingness to explore with anything that might be too kind of seasoned or jaded. Like yeah. we're we're kind of we're not that. I, I I would never think that we're kind of 
established or, or seasoned at this I think we're like we're just we're just getting into um our groove well on you'd mentioned you just mentioned you know this album being a statement and I had read with track nine on picture you that this song is you know one of the statements on the album and that it kind of allowed you mm. to explore just a variety of sonic uh, you know palettes which is I guess you can make that the case for each one of the songs on this album but what what is that is that is that something that you really kind of poured into with picture you for sure soaked in life I picture you and in you I have no doubt when the chaos calls me for sure yeah i mean again this this uh, there was a um a guy called garrett miller he's a, he's a brilliant lovely man in in nashville he's an engineer and and he's become kind of a a real enabler for winston um and winston's writing process and picture you came out of that and i know that they were tr they were playing with a bunch of stuff um one of those things just being a juno you know, classic Juno synthesizer, mm -hmm. and Wynn was messing around with Garrett doing some reverse chords. Um, actually, the chords are probably so simple, but have taken me months to try and figure out how to emulate as I've got to now play it. Um, but, you know, um, Wynn was, was kind of throwing these, these pretty left field sounds out of these writing sessions in Nashville, and I remember being in uh, California when he sent an email. A lot of the songs were actually circulated on emails, and um, putting I just put it on in the car and took a drive down the Pacific Highway, and I was like, "Okay, this is pretty fresh, and it's exciting, and um, yeah, you know, it's it's different, for, and it's not, but it's not scary to us. It's no. uh, yeah, it's exciting, and, and we were kind of working on picture you." Uh, for a couple of days, and then that rolled into an evening, uh, late Friday, on, on one Friday night, and we were kind of just still playing it in the room, and we had all the synths up, and everyone was jumping around on different things and kind of experimenting, and then it kind of just it devolved into this um, almost like a I hate the word jam, but like a free uh, we were all just sort of just improvising, playing, and um, just just vibing off each other yeah and we got ourselves into this kind of somewhat sort of uh hypnotic state where we were just riffing over a couple of chords out of the back of uh, picture you um and we were stuck in this kind of world uh without you know didn't stop and didn't talk and you know lights were down and it was 1 a.m at this point um, and we got to the end, a kind of a natural conclusion, having recorded probably, you know, 30, 40 minutes of music. Um, and Paul was like, that's how we should finish it. And that was what became Darkness Visible. And so the, the kind of transition out of Picture You into Darkness Visible was very much a real thing that happened. And it was inspired by Picture You. And it was kind of us just almost living the song in a different way. Um, God, I love that. I mean, it was, it was cool. It was something that I feel like a lot of other producers would have turned around at that point and said, cool guys, that was fun, but should we get back to, you know, working on the demos now? But he wasn't. <laughs> he was like, you know, holy shit, that was awesome. Yeah. Um, that's got to be on the album. That's got to, you know. <laughs> and, and like I said, like I said, like just his reaction being that was was one of the reasons why this was such a positive experience for us because um, it just told us that it's okay you know like it's cool we we loved it mm -hmm. and kind of that's all that matters oh totally well you mentioned darkness visible which is you know track 10 and how did you come to work with gil landry and he does the spoken word here and that, that, i mean that's that's great i mean it's it's, it's, it's such a 
this is very dark track also or not also but it's very dark, opposite. Yeah. yeah it's very terrifying in, in some ways because you're <laughs> quoting paradise lost and um yeah the the sections regarding lucifer and the falling angels and hell and uh, you know it what's the significance of that that and the darkness in this it's um it's kind of like a expansion upon um some of the themes that are touched on in in picture you it's almost like some of the internal um some of the stuff that isn't said so explicitly and some of the things that inspired or have been um i guess uh for winston it it, it, it the the connection was so strong between mm -hmm. that that paradise lost stuff and um and picture you it kind of was a, almost like going in going inside you mm -hmm. know like the the journey within um and yeah you know it, it, that that this is it dialed back I, I i swear you know there was those moments where we were truly just like we did turn the dial a bit too far in the studio and and <laughs> and we te we we tempered it a little bit um and now we're now we're preparing to go on tour and and the dial's gone back up yeah um as we, as we as we get ready to play this this uh, kind of medley of these two two ideas live um you know anything from like zeppelin to coltrane you had these moments where it just felt like you know you're just hearing you're just hearing like just people feeling something mm -hmm. um you know even like rage against the machine you, you kind of have those moments and it's just this is kind of us um I guess dipping our toe into that water a bit. Let it shine on, let it shine on us. If I say I love you, well then I love you. Well, on track 11 with If I Say, uh, which we had already previously talked about because of with uh, Herbert's work, but this has to be the most cinematic song on the, the entire record. And, um, and I have to imagine that this particular song must have really um, gelled with the church studios, um, especially with just like, you know, with the orchestra and just how she uses the strings. And um, did you kind of, did you feel like the, maybe where you were recording informed this song for sure? I think, it's interesting. It kind of began its life as somewhat of an intimate um, track, mm -hmm. and it grew, um, it grew in its epic epicness whilst we were recording it. And then when Sally collaborated on it, it took on this whole other level, which wasn't necessarily there in our earlier kind of uh, iterations of it. Yeah. Because um, you had been touring with this just, before. It made sense. Absolutely. Yeah, we yeah. played it a few times. Um, and even no, I mean like um, it wasn't intimate as in like it wasn't kind of around a campfire. It, like it, <laughs> it, it, it grew. We yeah. we we knew that the song had kind of even in its like um, architecture, the kind of the repetition of the choruses naturally were to to kind of snowball. Um, but but she just found like another gear with it and. I remember when we got her first kind of demo strings back, which she layers up herself at home um, and, you know, does it all on Sibelius and she sends it over and it was like, wow, you know, if this is her reaction. And that's what I love about, I mean, with any collaboration, but you just kind of, kind of like a conversation, you, you hear someone's response back to what you've said and you've put out there. And in a great conversation that then inspires another thought and that's mm -hmm. kind of what happened with if i say it it pushed us further and we started to um develop our understanding of uh the kind of the rhythmic in intricacies of it and some of the other um instrumental elements so yeah you know we we kind of sent it um off to sally to work on at home and then she sent it back we worked it up and then we got in and i'll never forget the day we actually did it with uh, with the orchestra um, sort of being in a room with uh, 40 odd musicians at the top of their game and you're hearing it kind of in all of its dynamic splendor. Yeah. Um, there's nothing quite like it. You know, I, I love going and hearing orchestras yeah. live in concert because it's just something you could never squeeze into um, speakers or headphones. It's just there's, some, there's something so 
um, emotional about kind of how those things resonate together, yeah. all that wood playing well, off each other. Well, it's just like the unity of all. I mean, it, it, without, you know, no pun intended with the, the whole church and all, but it is like a very, almost like religious experience. <laughs> I wouldn't have you any other way Who wants a love that makes sense anyway With uh, track 12, Wild Heart, you know, there's this sense of love being borrowed and not fully owned. And it's, mm. a, you know, what, how, what do you make of this song? It's, uh, it's it's kind of like a, I, I'd say by this point, you've been through all the different ups and downs and iterations mm-hmm. of um, love. And sometimes love beyond just a romantic love. You know, there's love explored throughout these tracks about honor and um, uh, brotherhood and family and lots of different types of situations. And I feel like Wild Heart... Um, really hit a chord uh with me i i this was this is another winston song and and um i i remember him um playing it in a dressing room just on guitar one day and i think we were actually traveling at the time and that take on love um i just found a mix just a mixture of kind of um uh beautiful and and um, it really, really just sort of tugged at me. Um, and then when we came to the actual studio moment, we recorded this song in 20 minutes. Um, that's oh, wow. the first take and we did it to tape and we just laid it down. Um, Winston didn't even end up on the record <laughs> on the actual <laughs> song itself. We, we just, uh, Ted Marks and I, um, just played it and then we listened back to it and it was like, yeah, I mean, that's the song. And once again, not having the fear or the insecurity to second guess that and then go on to spend weeks kind of tweaking, you know, in, in instances like that to know it's it's right um, and be okay with that, even with imperfections. You know, there's things in it that absolutely I would change. You know, I was kind of just, when it came to the piano, I was just kind of reacting to Marx's vocal take as, his, as he was doing it. But, uh, you know, I would... I, I guess theoretically and, and um, if I was fully engaging just my brain, I would change it, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually, because the way it just plays off is, is very natural and it's real. Think of London and the girl you're returning and the days you defend Love with your eyes, love with your mind, love with you, there I stay forever. You know, you had mentioned at Wild Heart, you know, that, that one was, you know, you, you got in, you, you were able to kind of knock oh, it down. Yeah. With, completely the opposite to forever. Yeah, that's what, oh, it yeah. felt like a fitting title for forever because I, I, you know, read that you recorded over a hundred different versions of this and how did oh, you know man. it was finally finished? So the first iteration of this song was like, um, it was an evening in the back garage of, um, Aaron Dessner, um, from the national studio, oh, yeah. uh, in Ditmas park where we did a lot of the demos for wild of minds. And we were out there one evening and, and, we were, and Aaron was like, cool. It's, um, wasn't everyone just playing me a song? And wind started playing forever, and then we all worked up into because we were in a we were literally in a garage. Um, we just turned it into like a garage rock tune, yeah. Um, and ended up with a recording of it that we loved and we got really attached to. And then we toured it like that for a couple of years. Um, and whilst we were touring it, we were making Wilder Minds, and for whatever reason, it just didn't quite sit on Wilder Minds and couldn't figure out why so then we started doing different versions of it and it went through you know every genre and tempo and it's mental like couldn't believe it and then but we didn't we just didn't give up on it like we didn't lose faith it didn't fit on wilder minds and then when we got 
rounds the songs for Delta, um, you know, in the kind of the spirit of um, this is an album without limitations. Forever was put on the table, and um, it was it was towards the uh, the end of of making Delta that it clicked. Um, and it's just it's basically just a song at the end of the day it's just a it's, it it is what it is mm-hmm. and it's it's it felt like whenever you dress it up none of the clothes fit and the more we just let the song breathe and uh you know it's a story with a melody and um we love it and we're so happy that it's made it onto the album well and it works too cuz it's you know it has the the mention of all the different rivers and you know albums there's a significance of rivers and you know how did you know what was that do you know what was the significance of like the the thematic quality there i think um only kind of in like a um in a post sense um when it comes to the album title but um certainly the connection with those cities is really important to us mm-hmm. you know we i think we feel a lot of the time split uh between london and new york um I lived there for a long time, six, seven years. Um, Winston still lives there now. Um, and we are, we're a British band. We're London based, but, yeah. but New York has a place in our hearts, um, that, and it's inspired so many songs and the people there, <clears throat> the people there are, are kind of, um, they're like family to us. So it's, uh, I think in that sense. And then, um, <laughs> Uh, Dublin has a, has, a, has a special place in in our hearts as well, mm-hmm. and it's kind of why we're going to be kicking off with our our, our world tour there next next Friday. Would you say that um, the, the there's like a slight moment of like dissonance at the end, and would, would you would, is that kind of maybe like emblematic of that sort of distance between the two, or is it just did it feel right to do at the end there? Um, I think. It's interesting you pick up on that, and not something that we were necessarily aware of. It, I think sometimes when you when you're looking back on an album, uh, you end up kind of post-rationalizing. Mm-hmm. Um, it did feel it it, it felt fitting, um, so maybe there's an element of truth in that. I, I certainly wouldn't wouldn't uh, knock that down, but it was cool. And actually, the the strings on this one were done with. Uh, uh, someone who we've been a big fan of for a while called Rob Moose, um, and Rob Moose, and he's he's just a, a, a kind of a, a brilliant uh, American um, arranger and performer. Mm-hmm. Um, we met him through Blake Mills uh, when we we've done some work with Blake Mills over the last couple of years, and um, yeah, Rob's just awesome so he we sent this off he was actually in the middle of he was on tour with paul simon on that farewell tour oh, wow. and he was working on the strings for forever uh backstage i think he was actually doing that corona park show in new york whilst also doing the string arrangement for forever which kind of blew our mind but yeah. um his <laughs> commitment to it was awesome that is amazing when it's all just nothing Well, we finally reached the last track, Delta. Yeah. Track 14. Here we are. This used to be two songs. Uh, is that true? Or then you stitched yeah. them together? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. How did exactly. that happen? <laughs> uh, there was a longer version um, of the, 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 front, the front section, and they kind of naturally just um, they ended up commingling as ideas. Um, and it felt like all that all that wanted to be said got said in in the kind of the opening statements mm-hmm. um you know concluding with uh, what's beyond is beyond me and and that that kind of tees up this this i guess like in some ways it's almost like an opening statement for what's to come yeah. um rather than a conclusion and, oh, it, like and it tees up yeah it tees up you know the future for us as um we're excited about all the different touch points i think sonically on this song specifically it mm-hmm. kind of goes from that uh roots the intimacy all the way through to you know i was saying about paul Atworth being one of the great indie rock producers um and he he gets that on this song you kind of feel that um 
Yeah. Just and as you mentioned, I mean, you have another album, you know, you already will probably have something out, you know, in, in the near future. So it does feel good to have it as less of a closing statement and more as like a here's to come in a way. So I like Yeah, that. exactly. You know, I love this album. Um, I'm very excited to see, see how it sounds uh, live. I think this is going to be an amazing album for festivals uh, for sure. So um, I am. Um... I really enjoyed that. Thank you so much no, for thank you um, so much. I your kind like words and for the research you did on it. Thanks so much for listening to Track by Track. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review this series, Consequence of Sound, on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Or hey, you can even share it with your friend on social media. It helps make sure we can keep dishing out our music journalism in audio form every time you share it. You can also follow Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network on Facebook. And be sure to check out all of our other music, movie, and television podcasts. Head to consequenceofsound.net to explore all of our series. Stay tuned to Consequence of Sound for album review podcasts three times a week. If you love these shows, don't keep it to yourself. Let the world know. Rate and review us on iTunes and Podchaser. And be sure to check out our other programming on the Consequence Podcast Network. 